Artemis endeavors to get more women in the field and on the water. To support women as leaders in the conservation movement. To ensure the vitality of our lands, waters, and wildlife. Artemis endeavors to change the face of conservation. Welcome to the Artemis Podcast. I am your host, Ashley Chance, and today my guest is one of our wonderful ambassadors in Mississippi, Leah Robinson. Hey, Leah. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm doing great. I'm super excited to talk to you today because as many of our listeners know, Mississippi is a state that's very close to my heart. I lived there for about three and a half years while I was in graduate school and learned a lot about hunting and all kinds of wildlife stuff while I was there. So uh, I'm excited to share with the rest of the country, maybe even other parts of the world, what the real Mississippi is like. Um, And I think you are going to be a great person to tell us that. (laughs) Uh, I hope so. Yeah, no, I'm sure you will. Um, So to start us off, can you just tell us what's in your freezer? Ooh, okay. So I still have turkey nuggets from like two seasons ago. I think I have like one bag left and um we have frog legs we have catfish bass and brim we have lots of deer meat and we just recently got alligator meat because it was alligator season the last week the weekend ended alligator season labor day did oh my gosh so did you yourselves get an alligator or did you get it gifted so I, uh, I did not get tags. So Mississippi's on a draw system. So you apply for tags and if you get it, that's awesome. If you don't, you know, we just don't get lucky, I guess, but we have a boat and we've been several times because I've gotten tags, friends have gotten tags. And so we kind of volunteer our time to take people. And so we travel all over the state if someone needs us. So we were lucky enough to, um, catch 11 alligators but we only tagged five and if we tag them then we harvest those and so our we had three different groups of tag holders that we helped this season so we got a a 10 foot five male alligator was our largest that we caught and we were lucky enough that they gave us all of the meat off of that alligator so we have some alligator meat in the freezer now oh my gosh okay we're gonna have to park here for a while and talk about this (laughs) so number one how much meat do you get off of a 10-foot alligator so it's gonna be around 60 to 80 pounds i believe um because we we're getting some of it made into sausage and then the other part is like nuggets Mm. um, very similar to like turkey nuggets um and so you can fry them they're so so good and then we got half of the meat off of uh one of my friends runt tags and so it was six foot 11 inches and we got half of that meat so I think we got around mm, maybe 15 20 pounds off of that one for us personally Okay, I didn't even finish my finish my first line of questions, and now I have another one. What What is a run tag? Is that so? There's different size classes. I've never been alligator hunting. If you can't yes, tell, yes, yeah. So no, that's okay. A lot of people haven't, so that's fine. So alligator season here in Mississippi is different than what you see, you know, like in Louisiana. Um, so if you get a tag, you get two tags, and one of those tags is a runt tag, which is your smaller alligator. So it has to be under seven feet. And um, I think the smallest, um, I think it has to be like 
four foot to seven foot, I think is the range. Okay. But if you kill a or harvest a alligator that is seven foot or above, that's your big alligator tag. And most people don't want to harvest a seven foot alligator as their large alligator. You know, sure. we're all going for those 12 footers, you know. Yeah. So. <laughs> okay. Wow. That's okay. That's really cool. So my other question then is it sounds like you make contact with more alligators than you actually harvest. So you said your tag, can you walk us through the process? Yes, yes, for sure. So alligator season, we are able to catch, I don't want to say however many you want to, but it kind of is until you tag your two alligators. So for instance, one couple that we took, we literally, I think it was the first cast and we caught a six foot, 11 inch alligator. So that was their runt tag. And we tagged that one got took it back with us uh, to the ramp put it on ice and then we headed to another waterway to see if we could catch their big tag and uh we did not catch their large tag there but my husband broke off and went with another couple that we met there so I guided one group and then he kind of guided another group and I say guide loosely because we're not a guide service we just drive the boat drive the boat yeah, and do whatever you need us to to help you. And so we kind of have all the gear already because we've been doing it for a few years. So he goes and he catches a their runt tag, which was like, I believe, six foot and five inches maybe. I think that was around the size of their runt tag that he caught for them. And then they caught a nine-foot alligator. And they didn't want to keep that as their large alligator. They really wanted over a 10-foot alligator, which I completely understand. And it was the first weekend, so they were like, hey, do you mind? And so we released that one, and uh, which is a whole nother, like component of trying to release yeah. a 9-foot alligator. Oh, my gosh. Uh, but it, it can be done. So, and they did it, and they had a great time, but. It was, it's very interesting and entertaining. (laughs) Okay. So you're saying that you're casting. So what are you literally like? It's a fishing rod with bait on it. Yes. No, no, no. So it's a, it is a rod and reel, but we don't, we can't use bait here in Mississippi. So Louisiana, they can bait. Um, Here we cannot. So we, uh, we cast with a rod and reel and it has a treble hook with a weight on it. We actually order our hooks here in Mississippi. There's a guy in Matheson that sells some amazing hooks. And so we use him and uh, they, you literally snag them. That's okay. It's the same process of like snagging crappie. It's the same thing, basically just a lot bigger. Um, And so we snag them and hopefully bring them back to the boat. (laughs) Uh, sometimes they are way smarter than we are. I mean, some of these uh, alligators have been around for years. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they they can be 80 years old, you know. Yeah. Um, the longest female alligator in Mississippi was caught uh, opening, opening weekend of this season, and she was 10 foot 2 inches long. Um, and I mean, they're just, and she was, I believe, 84 years old. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, they're, 
they're dinosaurs, you know? And so it's just so amazing. Alligator season is, it's just, I don't know. I really don't know how to explain it. It's just one of those things that it's very beautiful to see these creatures up close and personal, even Mm -hmm. if you tag one. Um, Because, I mean, we caught several eight and nine footers and, and our the people, our tag holders, just, they didn't want to tag those, and that was okay, so we released them. We caught a couple of five-footers that we didn't have to tag because they wanted a larger runt, and so we released those. So, it was it was a great season for us. I think that's the most alligators that uh, my husband and I have assisted in catching and tagging in a season, so it's it was really awesome. Gosh, yeah, that's incredible. I okay. I still have more alligator questions though. <laughs> Number one. Go ahead. Um, okay, so let's say you cast out, you snag one. Somehow you get it to the boat. Two questions: one, how do you measure it with any degree of accuracy? And two, how do you dispatch it? I think I know, but I want to hear what you have to say. Okay, so here in Mississippi, and like I said, every state is totally different. So we have to have two lines on it before we dispatch it. And um, so we use our first, it's kind of like a catfishing line, basically, just with our treble hook. And normally we try to put another fishing line on it because sometimes you can get them up close to you and not be able to snag them again with a like a throw line. And that way, if they start, you know, running from you again, you have two lines on them rather than just one. So we, um, once we get two lines in them, we normally put a throw hook in it, which is a larger treble hook that is tied to an actual rope. And we normally tie it to the cleat on our boat just mm-hmm. so they're up close and personal mm-hmm. rather than uh, able to get away from us a little bit. And then we use a snare to, we try to put it around their neck. Sometimes you cannot do that. Just because, like, female alligators, for instance, are a lot feistier than male alligators. You know, surprise, surprise. (laughs) And and so, uh, especially the larger they are on female alligators, uh, the feistier they are. Um, So, you know, we, we try to do this as safe as possible. And so, sometimes you put the snare around their foot or something like that. But the best way to measure them without um if you can't get a snare all around their neck we've only not done that one time and the guys were like hey i want this one so we didn't even have to measure it Mm. they were like no matter what i want this alligator and obviously it was longer than four foot so and so we were like okay well you know that's fine so we use a 410 um and we let we try to let the tag holder always dispatch but sometimes the tag holders like hey my friend they've never been alligator hunting i'd rather them do it Mm. and we're like okay so you have to take the gun out of the case it is not loaded then you have to load and then you know take it off safety and go from there do you do you shoot them is there a specific spot like in the back of their head yes so it is kind of Without actually showing someone, I guess, since this is a podcast, yeah. it is <laughs> it is right behind their eyes um, on the back of their skull. It's kind of like a flat piece, and it's where the 
skin kind of changes, if that makes any sense. If you physically saw the alligator, you would be able to tell, like, okay, that's what she's talking about. Mm -hmm. Little bitty spot that you can tell the difference. But it's kind of like a flat piece on the back of their skull that you can see. Gotcha. And um, and then that's that's really it. The main, I think the hardest part is getting them back into the boat. Really? <laughs> what does but that normally look your, like? Oh my gosh. <laughs> we try to get the head in first and then you can just roll the rest of the body in. Um, so, but to answer your first question, I guess, on uh, to measure them without fully measuring their whole body. Oh yeah. So I, I guess I didn't answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> we glossed right over that part. We just skipped over it. So if you get their, the snare around their neck, you're able to close their mouth. That way as well, tape their mouth with electrical tape. And like I said, you know, we have three, four lines on this alligator at this time. They're not going anywhere. We have them. Um, and so we tape their mouth. And then you can measure from like their nostrils to their eyes. And that's a good um, comparison on how long they are. Like if it's 11 inches, they're going to be around 11 feet. They may not Mm. quite be 11 feet. They may not, you know, they may be a little smaller. They may be a little bigger. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like that good reference point on that. Or you can try to measure the whole thing. You know, I guess it's completely up to whoever the tag holder is on how they want to do it. But we normally just go from the nostril to the eyes and then go from there. Now, if it's our runt tag, you definitely want to make sure because you don't want someone to tag a seven footer and that be their large tag if that's not what they want to do. Sure. You know, that one's a little different. Um, But uh, our Mr. Ricky Flint is our head biologist here for alligators in Mississippi, and he does a class. He does a really good job. We have a uh, Facebook page that he updates and um, and kind of shares pointers and tips throughout the season. And our season is like August 26th, which is a Friday at noon, and then Labor Day at noon. So it's a very small mm. season. It's a yeah. very, very small window, especially if you have to work, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, weekends are crazy. There's no sleep, but he definitely updates everything and keeps everyone, you know, if you have a question, he's always there. So he's made gator season really good here. Mississippi. Oh man, that's awesome. Okay. That was <laughs> normally we don't stay that long on what's in your freezer, but sometimes yeah. we, we find something good and we just got to talk about it. Uh, as is the case today. So that was uh, incredible, wonderful explanation of alligator hunting in Mississippi. Um, From there, can you tell us just a little bit about who you are? Oh, goodness, yes. So I am 26 years old. I had to double check that for a second. (laughs) (laughs) I'm 26 years old. I work at the Mississippi Wildlife Federation as their program coordinator. I am married to my best friend. Uh, We've been friends since we were like 12 years old. And uh, in December, we will be, we will have been married for six years. Congratulations. No, thank you. So we got married. We were babies. And then I'm trying to think. 
I don't know. What else do you want to know? I'm an open book. So yeah. I'll <laughs> well, I, we always ask this question because it's really interesting to hear how people describe themselves when we just like leave it very open in general. So um, that's kind of the, the impetus there. But I think obviously this is a podcast by and for sportswomen of which you are one. Um, so I would love to hear more about kind of how you got started hunting and fishing and what your journey there has looked like. Okay. Yeah, for sure. So I started hunting at a very young age. Uh, my dad was a farmer when I was growing up. So it was always, you didn't have like actual vacations really. So, you know, whenever you got to spend time with your dad, who was always working all the time, you kind of took that opportunity. So I would follow him around and deer hunting and squirrel hunting And then my older brother was super nice to me and let me tag along with him everywhere he went. So that's why I got into hunting and fishing super young. And since we didn't have regular vacations, the river was right down the road from us. So my parents had a boat and we would go out and fish all weekend long and just kind of spend our whole weekend just hanging out on the river. And then we'd come home and then, you know, you go back to normal life. So that was my version of a vacation as a kid, just because that was the coolest thing to me was to be able to go uh, fishing all weekend with my parents and my older brother. Mm -hmm. Then I guess I got into bird hunting in high school. So my older brother took me, I think it was my senior year of high school, turkey hunting. And I missed the biggest turkey that I've ever seen (laughs) in my entire life, like on my first hunt. I just wasn't prepared, I guess. Um, I had never shot turkey load through my 12 gauge. Mm. And I was kind of like uh, not sitting like on my bottom, but like kind of crouched like a uh, catcher would be. And it knocked me on my back. And I looked at him. I was like, shoot the bird. And he wasn't prepared because he was like, I thought it was going to be yours. And so we missed that one. And uh, so that kind of got me addicted to turkey hunting and to bird hunting in general. And so it took me five seasons to harvest my first uh, turkey. And my husband called it in. And then literally a week to the day, he uh, he harvested his first turkey. And I I was the one to call it in. Property. So it was really awesome. It was within a hundred yards of where I harvested mine. So it was very special. And, um, and then I started waterfowl hunting in 2014, 2015 season. And that was with my husband and I got addicted to it. Well, I noticed that a lot of, we hunt public land. So a lot of, uh, boat ramps don't have women and you go to all these WMAs and there's no ladies. And I'm like, where are all the women, you know? And he's like, Cause he grew up duck hunting and I was like, where is all the women? And he's like, I don't know, but you know, like we should, we should get more women out here. I was like, we should. And so we did. And I started finding ladies that were willing to travel or ladies here in Mississippi that were interested in getting into it. And we started taking ladies on public land duck hunts. And I think that's where my passion kind of started on taking women into the outdoors was getting them to go duck hunting. Oh my gosh. So many, so many wonderful things there. I love the turkey story. And honestly, I feel like I'm coming to, I think my fourth turkey season this coming spring, I've 
I don't even, I haven't even shot at a turkey. So five seasons for your first harvest seems very reasonable to me in today's turkey world. <laughs> well, um, East, Eastern turkeys are the hardest, I think. I mean, granted, I've never hunted any other ones, but talking to people over the years that have hunted uh, turkeys all over the country, they're like Eastern, they're, they're hard, you mm-hmm. know, it, they're just a different breed of bird, I guess. I've been told the same thing. And to be completely honest, my, um, I haven't tried very hard <laughs> when it comes to turkeys. I'm more of a tag along with my husband. I'm just kind of there for the ride. That's okay. Plus I was very pregnant for one season and then had a tiny baby. So anyway, I could not imagine. Yeah. Um, it was nice to go hunting. So my good friend, Mary, she lives here in Tennessee. She's a very experienced turkey hunter. We've had her on the podcast before mm-hmm. I went out hunting with her. I think I was seven months pregnant. And I had been hunting with my husband the whole season prior to going out with her that day. And when I go with him, it's like the amazing race to to wear. I don't know. And I'm just like, stop walking so fast. You know, I'm <laughs> I'm heavily pregnant. I did, it's a mountain, you know, East Tennessee. Yeah, for sure. And I went out with Mary and I could breathe. We stopped and took in the scenery. Like she was just going at a pace that was much more suited to my my approach at that time. So I very much appreciated that. It's always nice hunting with women because it's one of those things, especially if you're a beginner hunter in that, or if you're a beginner hunter in general, you know, you just say that up front and women are like, okay, that's great. So it's more of the, the communication is there. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes. And so it's very nice to be able to take the time to do stuff. That's how public land duck hunting is, especially when we take ladies. We, you know, if you want to learn how to throw out the decoys, we will teach you every aspect of throwing out the decoys. If that's not something you want to learn, that's okay. We're like, okay, well, you know, what do you, what do you want to learn? It's completely up to you. If you just want to duck hunt and not do any of the other stuff, that's okay. And so it's, I don't get that. (laughs) <laughs> but we let all the other ladies that we take, they get that. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because ta- just talking to thinking about Mississippi is bringing back so many memories for me. That's the place where I really got into duck hunting yes. for real. I had duck hunting yeah. prior to that in other places, but um, that was when I met my husband and he was getting really into it. And I was laughing when you talked about setting up the decoys because... <laughs> I don't know that there's ever been a time when I've put the spread out that he hasn't gone out and adjusted it. <laughs> it's like a pet peeve of mine. I'm like, I literally did exactly what you said we should do. Uh, but you know, I'm lucky one time, so don't feel bad. <laughs> okay, do so not feel bad. I think I've gotten lucky one time. And then, you know, sometimes if it's a sunny day versus a cloudy day, things have to be moved and all of this. And I'm like, golly, this is kind of like a science. <laughs> oh, and we went to Oklahoma last year and hunted, just threw out some decoys. You could see our blind from like two miles away. And it was totally different. You, granted, I don't live in Oklahoma. So the ladies that live there, they may be like, hey, sometimes it's hard here. And I'm sure it is. <laughs> but the day that we went, it was just, I mean, I looked up and I was like, that's the most mallards I think I've ever seen at one time in my life. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, you hunt the Mississippi Delta. It must be so easy to get birds. And I'm like, 
Mm, not really now if you would have asked me that in 2014 I would have been like oh yeah there's a ton of birds but now it's just like oh my gosh I think there's more hunters than there are birds and that's okay um because that's not the reason why we're going hunting you know we're getting out there to experience it and it's amazing to have watched how in 2014 I think I saw one female at one WMA that season And then probably like to 2016, which is really when I started being like, okay, I want to take women out hunting. And so when we really started taking ladies out, I slowly started to notice a change on WMAs. And now, I mean, there's, there's women everywhere. There's a few WMAs we go to that are really hard to hunt. And I'm not saying that women can't hunt them because they definitely can't. I hunt them. So anyone can hunt them. But it's just sometimes it's hard. Um, like some of these places, the mud, you all the way up to your thighs and it's just miserable hunting, but sometimes it's worth it. Yeah. So you just never know. And I always tell people and I'm like, look, you should go there. It's great. And the guys are looking at me. They're like, that place is absolutely awful to hunt because it's so hard. And I'm like, well, I can do it. You can do it. So, you know, that. Thinking about that public land duck hunting in Mississippi specifically takes me back. I always think about, I mean, when we were in graduate school and we were duck hunting there, we were so gritty. We would wake up at 2.30 in the morning, 3 in the morning and drive for an hour. And then we would get to the boat ramp, load everything in the boat, drive, you know, on the river for another 30 or 45 minutes and then get out and hike across to, you know, with all of our decoys and everything and get set up to be there, you know, an hour before shooting light to make sure that we didn't get beat to the spot. And there were many days where that amounted in no birds. But let's like you said, that wasn't, I mean, cost per ounce of duck meat is not something that I really want to talk about. Because <laughs> no, is the most expensive hunting that we do, yeah. um, you know, when it comes to gear and cause you know, deer hunting, you don't have to have a boat, but you don't have to have a boat duck hunting. We have, we have a boat. Um, and so we're able to get places that other people can't, but you're right. It is duck hunting is a grind and mm-hmm. I hate to say this, but I love deer hunting and I love duck hunting. So that whole season is just a complete and utter chaos of no sleep <laughs> because, <laughs> because I work a nine to five Monday through Friday and then my husband does too and so we public land deer hunt public land duck hunt so some of these WMAs you're able to duck hunt and deer hunt so we'll duck hunt in the mornings and then deer hunt in the evenings or go to a different WMA that's a few miles away or so and deer hunt in the evenings um especially like national forests that you're able to do that on mm-hmm. and so the delta's full of you know public land so we just kind of go back and forth on weekends and i told him the other day i was like i feel like i'm getting too old to be doing this <laughs> i'm not uh, you know i feel like when i hit 25 i just am like i'm tired I don't know if I can keep doing this. And I have friends who own private land for duck hunting and they allow us to hunt it. But, you know, it's it's family land. Their whole family goes. So they can't take 
multiple people all the time. Right. And they're like, I don't see how y'all do this all the time. I was like, you know, me neither. But after this, I feel kind of dead for a little while. And then turkey season rolls around. Then I have to, you know, pep up my stuff again and do the whole thing over. (laughs) By then you're, you're rested up. Yeah, you're rested. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our partners. In South Dakota, hunting is our shared legacy, something everyone can be a part of. That's why we're focused on making our fields a welcome place for everyone. See how at huntthegreatestsd.com, where you can hear stories from sportswomen and learn what makes South Dakota the world's pheasant capital. While you're there, check out public land maps, hunting blogs, and season information for one unforgettable fall. Learn more at huntthegreatestsd.com. And we're back. All right. So before the break, we were talking about duck hunting, which is just very nostalgic for me. I mean, I I don't get to duck hunt anymore nearly as much as I would like to or waterfall hunt, period. Um, because of where we live, but I love talking about that in Mississippi and thinking about it. Something else that is kind of central to where you live now, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, it was the reason you moved to where you currently live is Mm -hmm. your role with the Mississippi Wildlife Federation. Yes. So, so MWF, as we call it, is, um, NWF, which Artemis is a program of the National Wildlife Federation. MWF is our formal affiliate in Mississippi. So we work mm-hmm. with them on a lot of things, Artemis being one of them. Um, so it's kind of unique that you are an ambassador and you also are an actual employee of MWF. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your role there? Yes, of course. So I'm the program coordinator. So programs such as Artemis, which Artemis is a little different than some of our other programs, but Artemis, and then we do Academics of Field, which is through U.S. Fish and Wildlife and uh, Georgia Wildlife Federation. So Academics of Field takes college students out on hunting and fishing trips and teaches them proper conservation and um, firearm safety. And then we do fishing radios for kids. We're working on possibly doing some squirrel hunts for some kids, do a lot of kids programs. And then we're definitely trying to, you know, keep things like Artemis going, making sure that we're getting more ladies into the hunting community and fishing community. But I believe that's almost everything we do. And then we do Hunter's Harvest, which is a program that deer hunters are able to donate their deer meat to a local processor. And then the processor processes everything and then that meat is donated to a homeless shelter or a um, some people donate it to local churches that have someone in mind that they know that needs the food. So that's how we do Hunter's Harvest here, which a lot of states, I believe, have similar programs like Hunter's Harvest. Yeah, absolutely. That's I, I love that, um, especially in a state like Mississippi that has such high deer densities that, you know put it we can put that meat to good use for people folks that really need it so you talked a little bit in the beginning about kind of what brought you to hunting time with your family and you know about how much it means to you to be able to get other women involved in hunting I guess thinking in light of all of that why do you feel like still today hunting is important to you and fishing okay so I think it's partly I'm I'm the only girl 
granted, there's only myself and my older brother, but I'm a daddy's girl. And so I think that's one reason why I fell in love with hunting so much is because my daddy loved it. And so whatever he did, I wanted to do too. And so I think that's one reason why I fell in love with deer hunting because that's all my dad really does. Like he doesn't turkey hunt. I've tried to get him into it so far. We haven't had much luck, but you know, he doesn't turkey hunt or duck hunt or anything like that. So deer hunting has a special place in my heart just because that's what I used to do with my daddy. And I'll still go and sit with him every now and then. Um, it's a little different now because we both use climbers and, you know, so it's a little different than it was whenever we would sit. You just and, like climb trees that are 20 feet apart and wave at each other. <laughs> yeah. <be> like, hey. <laughs> and so it's a little different now than it used to be, um, whenever I was so small, but I don't know. I think that's honestly the reason why I love hunting. Also, we've kind of gotten my mom into deer hunting. Um, in 2019, my brother, I guess, kind of sweet talked her into going with him. And then now she's, uh, harvested two does, I believe maybe three over the last few seasons. So she's, she's getting there. We've got to get her a buck to get her really, you know, addicted to it like the rest of us. Um, but I think that's the main thing, reason why I love hunting so much is just because, it's one of those things that you get to go out with your family and do, even though you're not supposed to talk. I'm a big talker. Deer um, hunting is the only type of hunting that I do. I will not talk your head off. I sit there like a not on a log. But when we go duck hunting, I'm gonna eat my snacks. I'm gonna do snacks. I'll probably cook for you. Uh, and uh, you can ask anyone who's ever duck hunted with me. We are not going to go hungry. We can sit there all day. We will have food for days. I love that you brought that. So it was a revelation to me when we brought, like we have a little Coleman stove that we would bring out in the boat, in the duck boat. And we have a blind on the boat. So ideally we find a spot that we can kind of brush in um, Mm -hmm. like some overhanging trees or something on the river. And then we're just sitting in the boat cooking breakfast like I've made sourdough fried egg and cheese sandwiches (laughs) like this is for me like I grew up deer hunting you know in Minnesota so yeah a lot of times it was like hmm can't feel my feet for the last hour and a half (laughs) don't don't know where anybody else is while I'm just here in my stand freezing my bunskis off and I don't know it's just such a different um I mean, duck hunting still can be physically uncomfortable for sure, but I don't know. I really, it's, it's something special to have a warm cup of coffee and hot food when you're hunting in cold. For sure. We have a friend because sometimes we don't get to take, uh, the stove or anything with us because we're not hunting in a blind. Like it's kind of like a running gun kind Mm -hmm. of sometimes. And so, but he has this big Yeti cup that's, um, it's not like the tumbler, like it has the uh, top on it that has a handle. I don't know what it's called, but he fills it up with coffee and that thing will be scalding hot still after a, like we'll leave at two o'clock in the morning and by 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock when we're done loading up and everything's finished, it is still hot. <laughs> so we just kind of use him sometimes and he'll probably listen to this podcast and be like, Oh, you're talking about me. <laughs> oh but it's, 
his little coffee cup thing from Yeti just really keeps his coffee hot. I mean, super go, hot. Go Yeti. We're not sponsored, yeah. but if, if <laughs> but they want to send us some <laughs> some of these thermoses. some of those over, they are absolutely fantastic. And, and But normally we do try to take like our little, we have a, I don't know what it, what even name brand it is. We use the Coleman stove tops for a long time and um, because we hunted out of our boat all of the time. But now we have a, this little griddle top. Mm. And oh gosh, it's amazing. And so we'll take it. And even if we don't have a blind in the duck hole, we will duck hunt. And then when we get back to the parking lot, we'll just set up and eat and you know we like we'll have game wardens stop by sometimes and check everything and we're like hey do you want a biscuit and they're like you're making biscuits on that thing i'm like yeah we have bacon egg biscuits. <laughs> what, do you, what do you want we have <laughs> oh my gosh yeah i need this tailgating after duck hunting i love that yes. i mean we've watched talking about tailgating you know that it is during football season and we have sat at wma's and watched the game because you know you'll go is there's certain wmas that we just have to kind of wait it out and that way you're the first person mm-hmm. not like a check-in station or anything and so um if we want to be first in line we'll be there yeah and so we'll be cooking and watching the game while we're waiting for the next morning of duck hunt duck hunt and i'm not <laughs> My mom thinks that I am so crazy. She's like, why do you do this to yourself? I was like, I have no idea, but I love it. Um, I can't explain it any other way. So for the fact that I'm crazy and I love it. It's a special kind of something. That also made me think of um, like the draw hunt. So out at Noxaby, um, Mm -hmm. Noxaby National Wildlife Refuge, we have duck hunted out there a few times and the system at the time when we went, I don't know if it's still the same, but basically there was like a certain day of the week where they were going to have in-person draws. So Mm -hmm. they have so many spots um, and then you go and everyone's just like shuffling around in this dark room. There's a wood stove going and there's a person that you check in with. Of course, I was the only woman anytime that we ever did this, um, which is fine. But um, just thinking back to what you were saying about kind of being the only one and uh then they pull your number and yeah. when you get pulled you can choose based on whatever's left you whatever's left you get to choose a spot yeah. and um th- those are really fun hunts that was that's some of the most beautiful places that i've ever been seeing like being in the cypress swamp seeing the sun come up through the trees wood ducks dropping in on us um just incredible and one actually that's the only time I've ever been checked by a game warden um we were out there and it was like super misty that morning really it was cold but I guess the water was warmer than the air it was steaming up and it's in it's flooded timber right so you can't see for a long ways and we were all just kind of standing around we're in waders water you know up to mid thigh the our dog is on a stand both dogs so they're just standing there we're just kind of waiting seeing if more birds come in it's kind of for shooting light and out of nowhere, literally out of nowhere comes a game warden walking oh, up yeah. behind us like silent ninja. <laughs> they will scare you. He was... I did do that to me before too. And he scared me just because I didn't know 
anyone was behind me. It wasn't that he was a game warden. That's why he scared me. It was literally because it was so quiet. Yeah. We were all just kind of like leaned up against the tree, just like what you're talking about. Crazy early, not even shooting light. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden he walks out of nowhere. And I'm like, oh my gosh. (laughs) He's like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I think I had a heart attack. He scared me. (laughs) Yeah, doing a good job there, being good and sneaky. They're very um, sneaky. Uh, they can, they'll scare you sometimes. <laughs> yes. In in the course of their duty, full disclosure, my husband is also a game warden now. Yeah. He, he wasn't at the time, but, um, but yeah, it was that, I, that memory sticks out to me because it was so, I was very impressed with how sneaky he was, but yeah, he just kind of appeared out of the mist. I don't know. It was, it was something. Um, okay. I'm getting off. This is just a tangent again. So let's bring it back. I wanted to talk about frog legs. Oh, okay. I feel like this is a very (laughs) Mississippi thing or maybe a very Southern thing um, that not everybody gets to experience. So can you tell us about how one acquires frog legs and then how one consumes them, prepares and consumes them? Yes. Okay. Well, there's multiple ways to consume them, but on the getting them. So our season here in Mississippi is it's sometime in April and I should have looked at the dates. It's um, April to September. So it's one of our longest seasons. I mean, it's like all summer long. And it's just, to me, it's my favorite season. Because um, everyone's like, what? Why would that be your favorite season out of everything else that you hunt? Why is it frogging? And I think it's because you can listen to music on the boat. You can have like multiple people in the boat. And I don't know. There's just something so special to me about frogging. I think it's like, it's completely dark in the Delta because we go a lot in the Delta. We also go in the reservoir, which is where we live. But most of the time we go in the Delta and grab just big frogs. So we could not gig here in Mississippi for a few years. I cannot tell you what years, um, just because I didn't grow up gigging. I grew up grabbing them anyway. So I didn't know anything about gigs until I was older and they brought it back into season where you could gig them. But we, I kind of like lay on the front of the boat with a flashlight and my husband drives into the bank kind of, and we just grab the frog. And I know that sounds like, you're like, what? And, and that's literally all it is. You just kind of like grab them real quick. Now, granted, this is not something I suggest doing just yourself, just because there's a lot to it. You know, like early season of frogging, it's still cool outside, so it's okay. You're not really going to see any snakes. You'll see some, but not very many. But whenever it starts getting hot, like you'll see a frog, and two feet down, you'll see a snake. So, and most of the time when you're in the Delta, you're not just seeing water snakes. You're seeing venomous snakes. Venomous snakes, yeah. Yes. So, it's definitely one of those things, like, if there's trees above you, my husband's looking up above, making sure there's nothing above me. I'm looking at the water line and making sure that there's not a snake, like, laying in the water or, like, two feet or so along the bank looking at this frog that I'm about to take away from it. (laughs) And so, um, because I cannot even imagine how terrible that would be i've thankfully never had to deal with that because sometimes where we frog we're 30 miles away from the boat ramp and mm-hmm. then you have to drive the 30 miles back and then you're an hour to the closest hospital i mean like we're frogging in the middle of nowhere and um i mean it's just like duck hunting and deer hunting you're just 
forever away from everything and it just takes forever to get back. And so I could not imagine getting bit by a venomous snake. So I'm not planning to ever do that in my life. <laughs> it happened <laughs> not to the way I want to go. <laughs> yeah. It, it, when I was doing my graduate work in Miss, we were in the swamp basically along the big black river all the time. And there was many times where I would be about to put my foot down and I would look and there's a snake. And so luckily, not I nor any of my technicians or volunteers ever got bit. But uh, one woman that I was in, she was in the same graduate program as I was. She actually was walking on a sidewalk in Starkville, like near the baseball fields, and stepped off to look at a flower. I don't know why she stepped off the sidewalk, but she stepped on a cottonmouth. And yeah, actually, maybe I think it was a cottonmouth. Oh my gosh. I don't know, that's but awful. actually, no, I'm sorry. I think it was a copper. It was a copperhead. Oh, um, still, that's still terrible. Still bad. Yeah. But she <laughs> stepped on the snake and it bit her and then she didn't know exactly what had happened. And so she ended up stepping on, she got bit three times by the same snake because she kept stepping on it, not knowing. Yeah. So she was on crutches for, I don't know, a few weeks. She couldn't oh, even God. bend her leg, but she ended up being fine. But, um, but yeah, she, she was right in town. So that's They're definitely... Definitely a consideration. They're, they're, they're everywhere. They're not just in the swamp. They're yeah. I think I'm more like, like I'll go for runs or like I have a bicycle, so I'll go and ride the trails close to the house sometimes before I come into the office. And I see more there than I do like on the rivers mm-hmm. that we like. I mean, we swim in these lakes and rivers that we frog in and everything. So I'm just like. You know, they're everywhere, but I see them more on the trails than I do there. Yeah, that is interesting. And, you know, for the most part, I feel like if you don't bother them, they don't bother you. That's more right. than my experience anyway. Yeah. Most bites, I think, are like young males on their forearms because they were <laughs> trying, they decided to, something. trying to mess with the snakes. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, I feel like I could talk to you about Mississippi stuff for a very long time, but uh, we need to start transitioning. So can you tell us a story of one of your favorite moments, either in the field or on the water? Okay, let me think, because I think I have so many. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good problem to have. Yeah, it is. It's a great problem to have. So I went pheasant hunting in 2020. It's like my whole family. Uh, my husband, myself, my mama, and my daddy. And we went to Kansas, and this was part of my dad's Christmas present and my Christmas present and my birthday present. <laughs> Combo. Love <laughs> uh, it. Yeah. So I had told Casey for years, I was like, Holly, I just really want to go upland bird hunting. I've always wanted to do it and never done it. And he's like, okay, let's do it. And so I thought he was joking. Well, I think that was the first time I had really started traveling hunting. And so, which is a whole nother process of getting addicted to something. So we go to Kansas, my parents go with us and to see my mom, she didn't hunt, but to see her walk with us, I think we like walked 12 miles trying, you know, getting pheasants. And so, um, like to see her reaction on watching the dogs work. She had never seen that before. In all honesty, I think that's probably my favorite moment ever of hunting because to see her reaction, cause she's never seen it was just so beautiful. And she just enjoyed every aspect of it. 
And I think that's when she's kind of started falling in love with hunting. Um, slowly but surely, we're still working on that. But I think she started realizing, like, why I fell in love with, like, bird hunting so much. Because you do get to use dogs, except for turkeys, you know. But mm-hmm. I think that's when she was like, wow, I see why you love this so much. And she got some of the best pictures. Uh, that's what she went for was to take pictures of us hunting. And that was also something that I got to do with my daddy and my husband. And so, I mean, that was a first for all of us. None of us had ever pheasant hunted. My dad had wanted to go for years. And so to get to take him and experience that with him, I think was just probably, I'm pretty sure that's probably my favorite moment ever of hunting, just to see my parents' reaction together in doing something that none of us had ever done before. Yeah, that's so cool. We're I'm actually getting ready to go um, on a grouse and pheasant hunting trip. And I've pheasant hunted before, but I've never successfully grouse hunted. And I'm trying to get my dad, who hasn't done either, to come with us. And so TBD, but I think it would be like you've described. I think that would just be so incredible and rewarding to experience that for the first time with them. Yes, it, it really is just so amazing to me. Like I've been blessed enough to take other ladies hunting and everything, but I think to see my dad who got to see me, you know, harvest my first deer and everything. And, and I never got to see anything that he's harvested for the first time. So to get to experience that at the same time was just truly an awesome moment. Like my mom has a picture of us, uh, my dad and, and me shooting at the same bird. And so that's when I gave my daddy for Father's Day for Aww. part of his and I mean, like they have it in their house. I mean, it's in their living room. And my dad is so proud of that picture <laughs> um, because we've never gotten to do anything like that. So I'm trying to get him to go duck hunting to get, you know, for him to fall in love with duck hunting. But he said he's too old. He's not <laughs> up at o'clock in the morning. That's fair. <laughs> he's like, Maybe if you would have asked me ages ago, I probably would have gotten into it. But now he's like, there's no way. <laughs> it's a it's a young or wealthy person's sport i think oh for sure for sure maybe one of these days i'll be a wealthy yeah (laughs) one can hope (laughs) i'm right there with you oh man okay well our weekly closer hits and misses what have you been aiming for and how did it go oh well i guess that's probably my my turkey to be honest with you um so like I said, I hunted five seasons before I harvested my first turkey. And I started with my older brother. We hunted for a whole season, extremely hard. We would have gobblers just all over us. And then as soon as they hit the ground, they would go the opposite direction. I remember like Easter that year of starting, we had two like on opposite sides of us. And we just kind of waited and we're like, okay, when they get down, one of them is going to come here or both of them. And they can, they got down and both went the opposite direction. (laughs) Classic. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So, um, so we packed out and everything. And then the next like three seasons, I kind of took a break. Like I still turkey hunted, but I didn't turkey hunt for myself. So I started taking other people turkey hunting because I can't call a duck to save my life, but I can call a turkey. (laughs) And so I started taking youth and teens turkey hunting in Alabama um, and helped with a youth uh, camp that they do there. And so that's really all I did. And then 
finally, I was like, you know, I've gotten to help all these kids and I, I think it's my turn, you know, and I hate to say that, but yeah, no, that's, that's what it was. I was like, it's my turn to, to get my turkey. And so finally I was, I told Casey, my husband, I was like, look, we're going to, we're both going to get a turkey this year for the first time. And he's like, okay, that sounds, you know, great, but I don't know how well that's going to go for us because our luck has been absolutely awful. Uh, and I was like, yeah, probably, but we're going to try it. So we hunted and hunted and hunted. Like, and at the time frame where I worked, I literally drove past the place that we turkey hunted. And so I would go every morning before work and turkey hunt. And I would, we would get off of work and go roost birds. I mean, we hunted and then all of a sudden that season we didn't harvest a single bird we saw plenty we had a great time we learned a lot that season but we didn't harvest a single turkey the following season we hunted for like two weeks i think straight just like that just a constant grind of turkey hunting and then on a sunday at like 7 35 we're sitting on a um like a not a pipeline but it's very similar to that on the way that it's like laid out and we can still see the like a part of the road from us and um but we don't have access to hunt on that side and so we're just calling and you could hear them and we had one on our side and then there was one on the other side of the road just gobbling back at us and i was like oh that's so crazy and we just kept calling, and all of a sudden, I hear a car coming in the distance. Uh-oh. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, you know, if there is a gobbler over there, he's definitely not coming now. And Casey and I laughed about it, and we just kept waiting, and we're like, well, the one that's on our side will eventually show up. Oh, no, he didn't show up. The one on the other side of the road literally like ran across the road in front of a car and had another gobbler right behind him and I was like we I mean we were looking at this off in the distance and I was like did you just see that he's like yes be ready because they were like sprinting I don't know how to explain it but it's kind of like a cartoon like a little chicken on cartoon movies where they're running so fast that it looks like they're breaking their neck. Like, it's just, like, pinned back. <laughs> That's what they looked like. And then within probably 20 yards, I mean, they just start strutting in. And I, Casey's calling. And I told him, I said, you know, get your gun ready, too. Whispering real, real quiet. They can't hear us. They're all fired up. I'm fired up. I look like I'm probably about to pass out because I'm so red. And we, uh, I told him, I was like, be ready, be ready. And he's like, no, no, this is your shot. This is yours. But I was like, well, there's two birds. You know, we can both, we can double up today, which is something I've always dreamed of doing. And we still haven't, you know, gotten there yet. And he's like, no, this is yours. And I was like, okay. And so mine came in. Well, we had a decoy out. He was not going to the decoy. He was coming to the call. So he was walking straight to us in full strut. And finally, Casey looked at me. He said, are you going to shoot it or not? Just like whispering. But we were both like wide-eyed. And yeah. I think 
because I had never seen that like so close and up personal. I was in kind of a shock. Mm-hmm. And, um, as soon as he said that, I don't think he even got it fully out of his mouth before I shot. And um, I, he's like, you know, get up, go look at it, go look at it. And so I go and, you know, wait until it's finished flopping and everything. And I was like, I just started crying immediately. That's the only hunt I've ever been on that I just absolutely cried my eyes out. I called my mama and um, she's getting ready for Turk. (laughs) I was like, mama, you're never going to believe this. And I'm still crying. And she's like, did you get a turkey? And I was like, yes, I got a turkey. And so I had to tell my parents and I drove over there before they went to church and showed them. Oh, man. They lived right up the road at the time we lived in a county. And so I showed her my bird and everything. And then the following weekend, so this was on a Sunday. And then the following Sunday, I kill mine at like 735 in the morning. And that next Sunday afternoon, we had hunted that morning. The wind was just absolutely violent. Um, You could not hear them. You finally were like, okay, you know what? Let's go to town. So we drove to town. Went and got breakfast at Sonic and then <laughs> drove back home, kind of rested for a little while and then went back out kind of early, um, the normal, like for an afternoon turkey hunt. And we set up where I had not harvested mine and then we weren't really hearing anything. And then all of a sudden I started calling and you could hear like way down in this bottom and we were like, okay, let's get closer. So we go into this food plot. And we start walking like up the hill and then down the hill. And it was like, as soon as we walked down the hill, he was just going after it. And we like sprinted to the side of the woods to set up real quick. And to tell you that I just like threw the decoy in the ground and somehow or another, it actually landed in the ground. <laughs> it was crazy. And so we set up, I'm calling. So I use uh mouth calls and I also use a slate or a box um, and I think I was using a box and then my mouth at the same time kind of like going after it and all of a sudden he just like struts through from the pines and I was like oh my gosh and uh, where Casey was set up he was hidden a little bit more than I was just because we were in such a hurry to sit down and so I was trying to like keep my face down, but still be able to see the bird because he's like, look, if I can't get a shot, you have to take this gobbler. And I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. And so, um, he got, he finally, it took him like 20 minutes. It felt like for him to actually walk up where we had a clean shot. And Casey was able to harvest his first turkey a week after mine. And we were, like a hundred yards maybe from where I had harvested mine so it was so crazy but it was the coolest experience and I was just as excited for him as I was for me and I think I cried again turkeys man turkeys (laughs) turkeys are just the things they'll they get to you (laughs) but it's I don't know there's just something about turkey hunting I don't know I think there's just something about every kind of hunting yeah for sure well, that's an excellent hit. Um, I actually had a miss recently. We were out in the dove field, and actually this had happened a few weeks ago. We went to the range and were shooting clays, and my gun, which I love, 
just not quite jammed, but I, I still don't really know how to describe what happened, but it wouldn't cycle a shell. I pulled the trigger to shoot and nothing happened. And I was confused, I had to take it apart, get the shell out that seemed like it had kind of jammed, but not really. And so then whatever, it was good to go for the rest of that day shooting at the range. Well, then we were at the dove field last weekend, I think. And I pulled up on a bird, took the safety off, pulled the trigger, click, nothing. And I was like, what the heck? My gun's loaded. There was one in the chamber. And I just did not understand what happened. And of course, my husband's like blaming it on me the first time. And then he's like, oh, maybe it's these crappy shells and these cheap shells. And so then he takes my gun apart because I'm there with Charlie. And he <laughs> did the thing that he lectured me on not doing, which is let the spring go when he came. He's oh like, yeah, he's like, something just flew over my shoulder. Didn't even know. Like, was it black? Was it stainless steel? Whatever. Obviously, we didn't find the parts in the middle of the dove oh, field. No. Yeah. So I was done shooting that day, which was fine. There weren't a lot of doves flying. He's like, you can shoot my gun. I'm like, your gun doesn't fit me. I'm not going to shoot it. Um, so anyway, all of that is to say, Apparently, this is a thing. We called the company and they're going to fix it and whatever. But in the process of all that, being nervous about this trip that we have coming up and not having a gun and wanting a gun that fit me even a little bit better, maybe, than this one did, I bought a new gun. And so, yeah, super excited. I've never shot it before, which is kind of risky, but I have it on good authority that (laughs) it should fit me and be a good gun. So... Um, it should be here in the next couple of days. I'm going to go pick it up and I'm really excited to start shooting it and I have high hopes. So that's a preemptive hit, I guess. Animus. <laughs> that's okay. Look, talking about, I, no shells nowadays are cheap, you know, but right, yeah. shells, I had a, um, I, the first shotgun I used duck hunting. I don't use it anymore because it's, um, it's, literally is a gorgeous shotgun and it should not be used for duck. you know so, yeah that's not um, the gun for me yeah i kind of like retired her uh she's upland only she is not used for duck hunting anymore um, i have like a black synthetic now that i yeah. use for it's been a paddle like it's been everything yep, yep. um woodstock is not the way to go for me personally uh, and so um but it would not cycle the shell and finally I was like is it dirty no I'd cleaned it before season like right before dove season so it was good it had no mud no water nothing in it I was like what is the deal well I still had so Mississippi a lot of our WMAs you can only have 25 shells well I have like a mixed box of shells that Mm -hmm. I've had over the seasons you know and it's just you know some is this brand some is this brand going back and forth and so I swapped out the shells just to see if it was the shell my gun would not cycle that brand like at all and I was like what in the world and if it would it would kind of like whenever it was trying to eject it it just like halfway ejected Mm -hmm. I was like what in the world so I no longer buy that brand just because it wouldn't go through that shotgun so i don't even try it with my new one interesting <laughs> interesting yeah i don't blame you oh. <laughs> i don't blame it's, you one bit but tips and tricks from the field for sure <laughs> well I'm, leah try out first <laughs> yeah absolutely leah thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us about 
hunting and I guess we talked a little bit kind of talked about fishing alligatoring frog gigging in Mississippi <laughs> we didn't talk about jug fishing we'll have to do that in another episode um but yeah this has been a wonderful conversation I really appreciate you taking the time no problem I really enjoyed it thanks for having me absolutely thanks for joining us this week on the Artemis podcast we hope you're having a great week until next time be bold stay curious and get outside Thank you.